Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. When it says glory forever and dominion forever, God is he's lacing this book up with the idea that it's never coming to an end. He's the forever king. He's going to have glory forever. He's going to have dominion forever. Jesus is never going to be dethroned or removed from his position so that those that are under him can relax. I can be at peace. My king is never going to be removed or dethroned from his place, his position. There's a confidence that we can have as God's children. Have you ever tried to imagine the idea of eternity? The idea of no beginning and no end? It's pretty hard to completely grasp, but our God has always been and will always be. He is infinite. In his message today, Pastor Bill will help you find assurance and peace in the fact that God will never end, and He will always be the King in control of everything. You can rest in His promises. It's good to know that your King will forever be on the throne. There is no power on earth or heaven that could change that fact. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, for today's edition of A Transforming Word. The Old Testament sacrifices would provide a covering for sin. The New Testament provides a cleansing from sin. So um, let's say that, you know, there's a, a room in your house and there's a bad odor coming from the room because something is soiled in, you know, the carpet in the room. So it stinks because there's some stuff in the carpet that stinks. Now, Two ways to address this. I can walk in the room and spray some Lysol in the air to cover up the stink, but it's still nasty on your floor. Amen? That's the Old Testament. We just covered it up. It's still there. It's going to be stinking again before you know it. That's the Old Testament. The New Testament is this. I go get a you know, carpet cleaner from you know, Home Depot, and I put the stuff in the carpet and deep clean it and wet it and soak it and draw the nasty out and suck it all up and dry it. Now the smell is gone because the, the stuff is gone. It's been clean, right? That's what God does. He cleanses you, washed you, washed away your sins in the blood of Christ. And so one day you and I are going to stand before a holy God and there won't be anything there. There won't be anything between us and the Lord because we've been washed. Our sins have been washed away in the blood of Christ. Then verse 6 says, and he has made us kings and priests uh, to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So in addition to what he's done for us, he's, you know, he's loved us, washed us from our sins by his own blood. He says, I've also given you something to do. He's made us kings and priests. And let me explain two things. One, in the Old Testament, you couldn't be a king and a priest. You could be a king or a priest. Whenever kings tried to do priest stuff, they got in trouble. Can anybody think of a king that tried to do priest stuff and died or got, was punished by God for it? Saul got punished for it. Who else? Uzziah, right? Um, you could be one or the other. You couldn't be both. Jesus was the first one to be both king and priest. Um, that He's king of kings, lord of lords. He also stands in the gap for us. He says, look, I made you now kings and priests. Here's what's important about that. Kings in what way? You know, is we get a we royalty or whatever. You think about the royal family. You think about the era of the Old Testament where kings came into play. How did you become a king? You had to be in a family to be king. Amen. For me to be king, I couldn't just come from anywhere. My dad had to be a king. That had to be passed down through our lineage. 
um, that I could be king. God says, look, I've made you kings because I brought you into the, to his royal family. He is the king of kings. He's adopted you into his family, so I've made you kings and priests. So first through relationship, as he's adopted us as his children, brought us into the family of God, God says, I've made you kings. But then second, he says, I've made you priests. What did the priests do in the Bible? The priests did two things. They, they went before God on behalf of the people, and they went to the people on behalf of the Lord. The priests were that in-between, that go-between person. He said, now I've made you guys priests to the Lord. We go to people on God's behalf. We go witnessing and sharing about who he is and what he's done for them. And we go to God on their behalf. We intercede. God says, look, I've enabled you to do both now. I brought you into my royal family, if you will, kings and priests. I've given you a place where you can speak on my behalf to others and you can come to me on behalf of other people's. Understand this, that apart from the blood of Christ, I don't have access to God to pray for anybody. But it's through what he did that I now have access in. He's made us. I've made you kings and priests. If you're writing notes, you can write down 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. I'll read it to you. 1 Peter 2, 9. It says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so, again, just speaking of what Christ has done, what he has made us into. Um, now, moving on, it says, um, verse 6, so he made us kings and priests to his God and Father. It says, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so to God is glory. Um, that's all the glory belongs to the Lord. And there's dominion. Um, these things belong to God forever and ever. Amen. And again, I, I hate to breeze over these things. When it says glory forever and dominion forever, God just, he's lacing this book up with the idea that it's never coming to an end. He's the forever king. He's going to have glory forever. He's going to have dominion forever. Jesus is never going to be dethroned or removed from his position so that those that are under him can relax. I can be at peace. My king is never going to be removed or dethroned from his place, his position. There's a confidence that we can have uh, as God's children. Now, moving on to verse 7. Um, this is prophetic language. It says, behold, that word means to stop. Look, it'd be like whistling to somebody and say, hey, 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 look, look, you know, behold is to draw our attention to something. It says he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. Um, God is saying, look, when he comes back, speaking of the Lord and when he returns, he's going to be coming with the clouds and every eye is going to see him. Now, we know that there was the first coming of Christ. The second coming of Christ is going to be different than the first, different in how he comes, different in why he came. Uh, in his first coming, he came on a rescue mission. Jesus' first coming, he came to save. Uh, there was a humility about it. There was a gentleness about it. He was a meek, mild lamb of God, and people talked smack, and he just endured it. People asked him silly questions and he took it. You know, as you look at Jesus through the Gospels many times, I know for me, I look at Jesus through the God. I'm like, just smoke one of them. Just do just a lightning bolt for somebody, man. Show somebody. You make him make him respect you a little bit. You know, he didn't come for that. He came to die. When he was born, it says they wrapped him in swaddling cloths. It's the same cloths back in that day that they would wrap a dead body in. Um, and so someone would look at that and say, man, he was born to die. He came with that as his mission, he understood it and he fulfilled it obediently. That was the first coming. The second coming is going to be different. The second coming, he's coming back to do what? To judge. Um, he's coming back to do business. Same person, same God, 
but his, the mission is different both times. Um, I would give this analogy. If I were a police officer, uh, that means I got guns and weapons and all these things, but I was going home for lunch to just see my wife and kids real quick. I have all this authority and power, but I'm, the mission is I'm just going home to say hi to my wife and kiss the kids. So I go home and I'm all happy-go-lucky, you know, nobody's getting hurt, nobody, you know, I'm just going home to, to say hi to the family. That was the mission. Now, if my wife were to call and say, hey, somebody's breaking in the back door, come now, you know, I'm the same guy, but the mission is going to be different, amen? I'm going, I'm going clack, clack, you know, I'm, a, I'm going to, you know, look for anybody that don't look like they belong to me and, and deal with them. It's a different mission, same person. Jesus came the first time, mission was a save. He came and did that. He, he came to die. He did that. He's coming back and he's coming back to judge. He's coming back to make things right and to ultimately make all things new. And so it says here, though, in this second coming, behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. One thing we know about the second coming, it's not going to be in secret. Every eye is going to see him, even they who pierced him. So for you guys that are familiar with, you know, Jehovah Witness doctrine, uh, Jehovah Witness have at times, they had dates that they said the Lord was going to come back and he didn't come. Then they have a date that they say he came. And you're like, well, when? When? And they're like, oh, you guys, you didn't see it? Only those that were enlightened and spiritual saw it. So they're saying that he came um, and, and we've moved on from this already. But here it says every eye is going to see it. How come everybody didn't see it? Every eye. We know this. When he comes back the second time, nobody's going to miss it. He says, even those who pierced him, everybody is going to see him when he comes back. And it says, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so. Amen. One of the things that we're going to see as we move through the book of Revelation, we're going to see that God has his plan for Israel has not stopped. So in the Old Testament, obviously, he chose them, his own special people. Um, right now, if you study or you look at Israel, you look at the Jews in general, they've not received Jesus as Messiah. We'll see in the, during the tribulation period that quite a few of them come to Christ. Quite a few of them enter into relationship with the Lord. Um, and so when it says even those who pierce him, those who are part of that, but he says all the tribes of the earth. Jesus is coming back for everybody. All the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. And in verse 8 says, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And I want to break these things down because they each mean something important for us. First, he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. He takes the Greek alphabet. That's the first and the last, the A and the Z, if you will. Um, he says, look, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. Then he says it in plain words, I'm the beginning and the end. Why is that important for us to know? Why that description of Jesus? He said, look, I'm the beginning and the end of everything. Um, that, that means I'm, everything begins and ends with me. I began it. I'm going to end it. And so what I don't want to be is outside of relationship with him. This can't be said about any other religious leader. Buddha is not the beginning and the end. He had a beginning and he had an end. Right. Allah, Muhammad, you name it, you name any other religious leader of, of, of any sort. They got a beginning and an end. Jesus says, no, me, I'm, I'm not like anybody else. I am the alpha and the, I'm not, I don't I didn't have a beginning and the end. I am the beginning and I am the end of everything. These are strong claims. And if they're true, then it demands of us that we fall on the right side of who he is. Amen. If he is the alpha and omega, he is the beginning and the end. And I believe that he is. Then I want to I want to fall. <laughs> inside of a right place of relationship with him. 
That means that everything that he says, if I want to know what's going to happen in the end, which is really important, which is part of the purpose of this book, some of people's greatest questions have to do with future things. Everybody here knows that apart from the rapture of the church, you have a date with death. A hundred out of a hundred people die. And one of the things that most people are curious about to some degree is what happens when you die? There's so many different versions of what will happen. Everybody has an opinion about what will happen when you die. Um, And so to me, I've always felt like if you're going to speak to me about the future, you should have a track record of being right about the future. Amen. Death is a future thing. What happens when I die is a future thing. Don't you be the fool that has some idea about what's going to happen when you die and you can't source it. Well, I just believe when I die, we just go to nothing. Where'd you get that from? What authority are you hanging that on? Well, I just believe, you know, we come back as reincarnated. Yeah, where'd you get that from? What authority do you have? What authority do those sources have? Because I'm saying the Bible's explicit about what happens when you die. It tells me if I die as a believer, I go to be with the Lord. It says if I'm here during the rapture, I'm caught up to be with the Lord. Uh, It says if I'm here to the very, very, very end, you know, um, I'm either going to be, here's the thing, I'm either going to be with the Lord or I'm going to be separated from the Lord. That's what the Bible is explicit in telling me. It said if I end up without the Lord, it's all bad. I get a glimpse in the book of Luke of a man that died without Christ. And where did he go? He was in fire. He was in torment in the flames. And he was conscious and he wanted to come out and be a witness. And God said, no, no, they're going to hear. They got the same chance you got. You're too late to be a witness now. Don't be an evangelist now. So that's explicit. It's saying, look, there's, there's fire, there's torment. That's what's coming as you get to the end of the book for y'all to use to cheat at school, for y'all to use to do the math and go get the odd numbers at the end of the book. How I know, I know, right? Um, <laughs> so you go to the end of this book, it's telling me that, look, people go to heaven, they go to hell. You're going to be with the Lord or you're going to not be with the Lord. These are big deals because everybody in this room that's living and breathing, everybody ever been born of a woman is an eternal being. Human beings are eternal. You're never not going to be. We're determining in this life, this little dash in this life, we determine where we will be for eternity. If you ever look at a tombstone, it says, oh, you know, May 1901 to whatever, that dash in the middle is so important. What you do with that dash in the middle determines where you are. You walk through a cemetery, there's nobody there at the cemetery. I I don't want to ruin nobody's, you know, Sunday afternoons. I don't go visit grave sites. Ain't nobody there. It's just a tomb. I got a picture of the people, you know. Um, there ain't nobody at the cemetery. They never, they wasn't even at the funeral. The day they died, they were somewhere eternal, with the Lord or not with the Lord. They ain't never going to be anywhere else. They ain't going to be at your house. No, I, th- I think my grandmother, no, that ain't, ain't your grandmother. She either with the Lord or she's not with the Lord. I hope that helped y'all out, you know. They're not coming back. They're not haunting you. They're not coming around. They are somewhere eternal forever, as we will be. And so God is saying, look, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. I own it all. Right. I I made the way of salvation. I made you. I knew how you were. I knew you would have flaws. I knew you would sin. I knew you would have a sinful nature. I made provisions for you. If you read the book, it's evidence that he knew what he was doing. People say, why would God make us? And why would he maybe knew we were going to sin? Why would he do this? Why would he do that? That's what you need to figure out. Right. Because if God made you and you couldn't sin, then. We would just be robots. Anybody here that's in a love relationship or just wants to be in one, uh, I'll talk to my single friends for just a minute. Anybody that's single here, I guarantee you, none of you would want to be in a relationship where somebody was 
you met someone and, you know, you're single today. They're they're single and they're like, look, I my dad said I have to be with you. So can we get married? How many women want that proposal? My dad told me I got to marry you. Um, so, you know, let's, let's make a date. Anybody want to be married to that guy? No. Someone's like, unless he's rich, you know what I'm saying? In, in general, no, right? You don't want that. That's not a love relationship. He's not saying, I choose you above all the other women in the world. That's different. It's different for a woman, right? If a guy says, look, there's a lot of other options. Um, but above all of them, I'm choosing. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. Now, that's special. I'm choosing to be with you isolated. I'm willing to forsake all of them for the rest of my life on earth just to be with you. And that's more of a desirable proposal. Amen? Ladies, that's weak, but okay. <laughs> so I want you. I'm choosing you. So God has given us the opportunity to have a love relationship with him. If you decide, I don't want you, Lord. I want my life of sin. God said, okay, I'll let you have it. I've already told you. God's already told you he loves you. But he has left room for you to say, I don't want that. But you got to live with that forever, right? You got to live. You don't get to change your mind after you die. So if you decide, God, don't want this relationship. I like my sin. I like to do my own. All right, you can have that. But that's a lofty price tag on that. God's given us the opportunity to have a love relationship with him where he's expressed his love to us. And we get to demonstrate our love for him in surrendering and obedience. Uh, We talked about this last week, that our greatest display of love for the Lord is our obedience to him. Amen. And so that's how we scream to God, I love you back. So he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord. It says, the one who is and who was and who is to come. And it it gives us, I love this last word, the Almighty. We're reminded once more that he is right now. So we're not talking about some fictitious being or creature. He is today. He was in the past and he will always be. He is to come. We're all going to give an account to him one day. It says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it's appointed to man once to die, and after this, the judgment. Everybody here is going to give an account to Jesus. Do you know what for? Do you know what we're going to give an account for? You will not give an account for rather your good outweighs your bad, because most of y'all, your bad is going to outweigh your good. Um, We're not going to give an account for how we served or what we did. You're going to give an account for one thing. Hear this. What you did with Jesus. That's primary. When it says you're going to live, you're going to give an account. You're going to die one death. You're going to give an account to God. You're going to give an account for what you did with Jesus. As believers, there's a judgment seat of Christ, the beam of seat where there's a reckoning for our service and everything else. But the primary judgment is this. When it talks about that in Hebrews, it's appointed to man once to die. And after this is judgment. What did you do with Jesus? Because if you received him, then he's going to receive you. He said, if you confess me before men, he'll do what? I'll confess you before my father and the angels in heaven. If you deny me before men, he said, I will also deny you before my father for the angels in heaven. So there'll be people that are received and people that are rejected at that point who is and who was and who is to come. Then the last thing, the almighty. Um, I love that phrase for the Lord. It means this. He's the almighty. There's nobody mightier. There's no one more powerful. There's no authority above. He says it in so many ways, right? I'm the beginning and the end. I'm the Alpha and Omega. I'm the King of Kings. I'm the Lord of Lords. Here he says, I'm the Almighty. I've seen in recent times um, this vernacular used out in the world. Just I'm witnessing the people, talking to people. You know, people will acknowledge God, not Jesus. They'll acknowledge, oh, y'all believe in the Most High. 
But they, the most high they're talking about is not Jesus Christ. Just some fictitious God. The most high is the it's a popular way to say it right now. The most high. But they're just renaming. They're, it's almost like pulling from scripture and then leaving a lot of it behind and just pulling pieces out. I just want to explain that if it's not Jesus Christ, it's not God. Right. They're saying the most high and they're referring to some African deity, some idealistic, whatever. No, if it's not the if it's not the one that came, that lived and died and is coming back again, it's not God. And so we want to be careful because I'm, I'm witnessing in the same world in which we live. And I'm I hear these things. Um, you know, well, you know, I work with the most high. The most high says this. the most high, the most high. And I'm looking at this. I'm saying ain't nobody more high than the almighty. Amen. I want to use biblical language. I'm, I'm worshiping the almighty God, you know, um, whoever you are, he's more mightier than your God because he's the almighty, you know. So I just need to know that, that there is no authority above the Lord. And so I need to come under his authority. So important that we do this. This is the thought we're going to close with for yourself, that you come under the authority of Jesus Christ. Not a game. It's not even a religion. Um, this is life and death. You guys, we're eternal beings. God has given us his word to instruct us how to be in relationship with him. God, I know you're flawed, and I even love flawed people so much that I made a provision that flawed people could be forgiven, flawed people could be saved. I came to earth. I died in your place. I rose from the grave. I beckon you to come to me and to walk with me and to be in relationship with me. And so as we close, I want to give an opportunity for that. Um, Either we're here as believers and we fall under the Lord and we're thankful for who he is and what he's done. But maybe you're saying, man, I haven't, I'm not secure in my relationship with the Lord, but I want to be. I could say he so desperately wants to be in relationship with you that he died in your place, that you could be forgiven. He loves you. Doesn't matter what you've done, where you come from, where you've been. God is saying, I love you. I love you so much. I left heaven, came to earth, died in your place, ascended back into heaven and I've not stopped sending people with this message, and I made sure that you heard it. Consider how it is that you're hearing this message. This is your opportunity to get things right with the Lord. Amen? And so let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing yourself to us, Lord. Thank you for this book. Thank you that it's put in scriptures, God, that we might know you, that we might have a greater revelation of who you are and all that you have done for us. Maybe they know about you, Lord, but they don't know you like they need to, but they want to. They want to be forgiven. They want to experience a personal relationship with you. God, I pray you would draw them by your spirit. You would give them strength to, to surrender all that they need to surrender. God, I pray you would begin to work in hearts and lives. I pray you'd save them today. I'm going to ask if anybody's listening, and you would say, you know what? I need to surrender to Christ. I need to ask him to forgive me. I need to enter into a relationship with the Lord that's genuine today, and that God would begin to do a new work in your life and encourage you. So, uh, Know that there's not a more important thing you're going to do with this life than surrender it to Jesus, and that there is no shame in reaching out to the Lord and saying, God, I need what you're offering. I need to be forgiven. I need help. Uh, I want things to be right between me and you. So, Lord, we thank you then, Lord. Thank you for your work on the cross. Thank you for all that you have done, uh, even all that you continue to do, Lord, to minister to us. I pray you continue to take us deeper and further in our understanding of you and our relationship with you, Lord. Thank you for what we learned today. I pray, God, even our understanding of what we heard today will impact how we live this week. 
pray we'll be grateful, Lord, that we'd be confident in your grace towards us. And uh, we'd be faithful to share you with those that need to hear it, Lord. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. You've just heard a transforming word brought to you by Pastor Bill Buffington. What's swirling in your mind just now after what you've heard in today's message? Sometimes it takes a bit of time to fully process what was shared. Revelation is definitely one of those books that you have to almost sit and chew on, trying to discern what in the world it all means. But the good news is, God's given us His Word to help us know and understand what's ahead. What a gift. He didn't leave it all a mystery. He's revealing things on each page of this book, whether or not you're fully in the know of all that it means in this moment. Keep studying it on your own and digging into Scripture with an appetite that's ready to take in what God has for you. If you like the message you just heard, we're so glad. You'll find more solid teachings like this one from Pastor Bill Buffington at calvaryinglewood.org. Will you prayerfully consider spreading the good news with us? If so, locate the Give tab on our site. Don't forget, that's calvaryinglewood.org. This ministry is an outpouring of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. We're located in Inglewood, California. So if you have some extra time and are nearby, we'd love for you to attend one of our services. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If there's a scheduling conflict, come Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We hope that this message has ministered to your heart and you have a little more peace next time listening to it. We look forward to our next time as Pastor Bill teaches in Revelation right here on A Transforming Word.